have a uh, person here apparently in some kind of trouble, some kind of dis- distress, appears to me to be not breathing. What's the old joke? Either this man is dead or my watch has stopped. I don't know. <laughs> Looks like a heart attack victim, doesn't it? Now, <clears throat> there's a real problem here. There's a real issue. But luckily for Jim, we have one of these. All right? We have an automated external defibrillator. Now, the only issue for him is, do I know how to use this? I could throw it at him, right? You're supposed to be dead, man. I could throw it at him. I could lay it on his chest and just hope that it works. I could just stand here and hold it and maybe hope that somebody that knows what they're doing comes along. Somebody that knows how to do something with this. Or, or, I can crack this thing open. And uh, get these paddles out and Fire this bad boy up. And, uh, and put these paddles on him and just zap him, right? Clear! It's a miracle. Well... <laughs> It's the sound that gets them every time anyway. <laughs> Listen, Jim's only chance, if this was real, his only chance would be if I knew how to use that thing. Right? Wouldn't be enough just for it to be here. We've got a couple of them that are going to go up in this building. But it's not enough just to have them on the premises. It's not enough for me to have it in my hands. It, it, that AED has no value to that guy that's laying there unless it's being used. Today we're starting a new series of messages we're calling Jumpstart. Because here's what I know. At different times in our lives, all of us have been just like Jim. Spiritually flatlined. Out cold. Nothing going on in our relationship and our walk with God. Just, and that's a time when we when we battle, when we battle fear or we battle depression and anxiety. That's a time when, when we feel distant from God. We feel like we're separated from Him. From him. We're separated from, from His love and His grace. And we feel like we are all alone in this world. We feel alone and sinful and dirty and unloved. And what we need is something to, to jolt us, to shock us back to life and back to growth and back to hope, and back to a journey into maturity. Wouldn't it be helpful to learn some things that could help us accelerate our spiritual growth? And so today, for the next four Sundays, we want to learn how to use some tools that can accelerate our spiritual growth. But the tools that we're going to talk about are like that AED. They're not of any use to us unless we put them to use. 
Now, there's a verse that we're going to use as a guide through this series. We're going to come back to it uh, over and over again through the course of this series. So I want us to uh, just kind of set it as a, as a cornerstone, a foundation of our time together for the next few weeks. I want us to read it out loud together, okay, with lots of enthusiasm. It's from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. So the verses will be up on the screen. If you've got a, um, uh, one of the message notes, handouts, they're also inside there. You can follow along there. Let's read Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 together, okay? We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. That's our goal for this series. That we will no longer be immature like children, but we will be growing in every way more and more like Jesus Christ. Here's my question. Where do you want to be a month from now? I mean, besides another, uh, you know, a month older. Or a month closer to Christmas. Two months till Christmas, folks. I know you didn't need to hear that, but... Wouldn't it be great if a month from now we could look back, every one of us could look back and say... I can't believe it. I have really been able to experience spiritual growth in my life in, in the past month. Maybe in a way that I haven't seen it in months or weeks or years. So what would that look like? What would it look like in our relationships if we accelerated our spiritual growth over the next month? What would it look like in our community? You know, on any given Sunday, there's around 300 or so of us that gather here, a little more some Sundays, a little less on others. But 300 is a good kind of benchmark number. Do you think it would make a difference in our community if 300 people jump-started their spiritual growth this month? So that's what we're going to talk about. Because I want us over the next four Sundays to leave here every Sunday with a better understanding of a specific spiritual growth tool that if we will use it and put it into practice, it will accelerate spiritual growth in our lives. But first, let me make sure that we're real clear about something, okay? And you know what? My elders always get nervous when I say that in a sermon. This is not a call to legalistic do-it-yourself religion. Okay? I'm not calling anybody to do more, try harder, be better. We're going to be talking about what people call spiritual disciplines. Things like Bible study and prayer and worship and, and generosity. But let's not make a couple of critical mistakes. Okay, I want us to understand that we're not baking God a, a pan of brownies. What does that mean? We're, we're not taking God a plate of warm cookies and a glass of cold milk. Here's what I'm trying to say. These tools, these spiritual disciplines that we're going to talk about are not things that we do to make God like us better or love us more or accept us. That's not what they're for. That's not how they work. That needs to become part of the filter through which we look at these disciplines. We're not trying to make God like us. And I'll tell you something else. They're also not get-out-of-jail-free cards. Yeah, we know about that, don't we? We know about trying to trade with God, trying to barter with God when we mess up and get ourselves in trouble, don't we? Try to smooth things over and so we can avoid the pain or the consequences of the mistakes that we've made. Hey, God, have I got a deal for you? 
you know, if you would just make sure that I don't get in trouble here or that I don't have to struggle or I don't have to, to deal with the consequences of my sin or my mistake or my bad choice, I'll, um, I'll read my Bible every day and I'll pray. Man, you never heard prayers like I'm going to pray. And I'll write a big old fat honking check to the church. Now, if God moves on you to do that last one, you know, you need to obey God. But listen, this is not about getting God to like us or getting ourselves off a hook. It's about growing to be more and more like Jesus. It's about no longer being immature like children, but growing in every way more and more like Jesus. It's about growing to be a fully functioning follower of Jesus Christ. You know, if I... uh, If I spend one afternoon with my son, Ben, he's our oldest, 22 years old. And the next afternoon, I spend with with Grayson. He's our youngest. He's eight. Grayson is everybody's little brother. Okay? But the things that Ben and I would do and talk about and the interests that we would pursue when we were together would be very different from the things that Grayson and I would do or talk about or the interests we would pursue if we were spending time together. And do you realize, you understand, that that doesn't, that doesn't say anything about how much I love them? I love both of them. But the fact remains that the difference in age and maturity makes a difference in how I relate to them and what we do, how we interact. Now listen closely. There are things that God wants to do in our lives, in my life and yours. And He can't do them yet because we're not mature enough. It doesn't matter if you've been a believer for 50 years or five minutes. We're all in that boat. There there are ways He wants to use us and fellowship that He wants to have with us that we're not ready for until we grow a little bit from where we are right now. So that's what Jumpstart is about. That's what accelerating our spiritual growth is about. It's not about shortcuts. I'm not giving you an easy path or a way, a workaround. It's about growing up and maturing. And the reality is that every one of us can be farther along than where we are right now. You know, in Matthew chapter 24... In verse 35, Jesus says one of these things that he often says that we read and we kind of look over without thinking a whole lot about it because if we stop and think about it, it kind of gets to us a little bit. In Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Now think about that. If that's true, and it is because Jesus said it, so that means it's true then that means that we spend a significant amount on, uh, of our time on things that are going to disappear. An awful lot of things that we think are important will disappear. Maybe we spend time reading Cosmo. If you laugh, that means you read it. Um, People Magazine, National Enquirer. Of course, we never admit to reading that one. Or maybe we spend a lot of time watching TV. I mean, it's football season now, right? So there's Monday night, there's Sunday night football, Monday night football, Thursday night football, 
There's the games all day on Sunday. There's college games on Saturday and on Friday and on Thursday. If you want to find the game, you can find it. The arena league, is the indoor league, is also on a couple nights a week on late at night if you stay up late enough. Or maybe your thing is, uh, you know, how, uh, how I Met Your Mother or Dancing with the Stars or Duck Dynasty. That's my personal favorite. That one makes me happy, happy, happy. Maybe we spend our time exercising, right? We do the insanity workout or Zumba or buns of steel. <laughs> My personal workout is buns of dough. I don't know about that. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Whatever it is we're doing, the reality is that an awful lot of what we spend our time on, Jesus says, it's going to disappear. He says that the only thing that's going to remain from now unto eternity is God's Word. Everything else is going to disappear. Now, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? With the gift that God has given us in His Word. In Psalm 119, verse 11, King David says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's a, that's a challenge for us to take God's Word and to literally download it into the core of who we are, to hide it, conceal it deep in our hearts so that we begin to see transformation in our lives. It's a protection for us. David said, I hide your Word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. It's a protection, a barrier. I hope that when we're done here today, every one of us will say, I want to be a student of God's Word. I want to be reading it more. I want to study it more. And that then we, we will intentionally take God's Word and download it into our hearts and allow it to transform us and to change us. You know, when I look back at my life as a follower of Jesus, there are times I, I can see periods of growth and consistency in my walk with God. I mean, times when I was hungry for His Word, when I just would, would, didn't want to do anything else but read the Bible. And, and it was changing me. and It was transforming me. And I was, I was growing by leaps and bounds. And maybe you've seen that uh, happen in your life. But I'll tell you what else we've seen happen. We've seen those times when our walk was pretty inconsistent. When there wasn't any growth or very little. And here's what blows my mind. We know. We know what God does in our life. When we get into His Word, we know how it changes us. We know how it transforms us, how it straightens out our thinking, how it gives us vision to see over and beyond the circumstances and the challenges. So knowing all that, why would we ever neglect God's Word? A lot of people are living lives marked by trouble. There's just an awful lot of us that struggle with addiction, pain, and trouble, and heartache. And it just goes on and on and on. It seems to go on week after week, year after year. Please hear me when I say, this book can change that. It really can change that. This book is unique. This book is like no other. And if we will make a commitment to read and to study God's Word and deposit it deep into the core of our being, if we will meditate on it and allow it to change us and transform us, then we will grow up into who God wants us to be.
We, we will live with purpose. And we will break free from the struggles and the challenges and the addictions. If we'll just deposit God's Word into our hearts, no other book can make that claim. Because the Bible has several unique qualities. God's Word, the Bible, brings power. It comes with power. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, for the Word of God is alive and powerful. And isn't that what we need? Don't we need something from God that's living and powerful? Man, we, we spend a lot of time here talking about how our power, our strength is not worth a whole lot for the circumstances that we face. It doesn't seem to, to get us anywhere. The strength we need, the power we need has a supernatural source. It's the Word of God. That's where the confidence comes from. That's where the assurance that it's Jesus who lives deep inside of us, empowering us. God's Word is where we get our confidence in the ability to overcome, not in our ability to figure things out, but in His ability to work through us. Right now, all over this community are people crying out desperately in need of God's power. Desperately in need of the supernatural overcoming power of God in their lives. And we hold it in the palm of our hand. God's Word brings power. God's Word also brings healing. In Psalm 107, King David, yes, that David, the giant killer, he's singing the praises of God. He's just he's rehearsing, he's reciting all of the ways that God has come to the aid of his people over and over and over again. And when he gets to verse 20, Psalm 107, verse 20, he says that God, he sent out his word and healed them, snatching them from the door of death. One of the most common names for God used in the Old Testament is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, the Lord my healer. God wants to heal. It's in His nature. He, he wants to heal us, to bandage our wounds, to comfort us in our distress. There are people around us in desperate need of healing. There may be some in this room this morning who need a physical healing. You're sick in some way. You're suffering physically in some way. You need a, a healing touch physically. There are others who need healing relationally. I mean, they've got, a, they've got a marriage or a relationship with a child or someone else in their family that needs healed. There are some folks carrying around the burden of their past. Something that happened months or years or decades ago and we can't seem to break free of it and get by it. We need healing. God's Word tells us where to go to be healed. It tells us, it introduces us to the one who wants us to be healed and to be healthy. You know, when we go to the doctor and he gives us a prescription. Okay. Now, ladies, this is almost 100% true for you. For men, it's not quite 100%. Because we don't like to go to the doctor. We don't like to do what the doctor tells us, right? But most of us, if we go to the doctor and we get a prescription, what do we do when we leave the doctor's office? What do we do? We go get it filled. We go straight to the pharmacy from the doctor's office and get that prescription filled because someone we trust, a healer, has said, this will help you. This will make you well. This will, will ease your pain. This will manage your condition. God has given us a prescription for our health. Physical, 
emotional, spiritual. We dare not set it aside. God's word brings healing. It also brings direction. In the Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9, we read this. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We can make a plan, but it's God who determines our steps. And you know, again, looking back at my own life, when I cried out to God, when I reconnected with Him and with His Word, it was almost always in a time when I needed some direction. I needed some answers. I needed some clarity about where I was going to go and what I was going to do. I have people come see me all the time with the same question. How do I figure out God's will for my life? And I talk to them and find out they haven't once cracked open this Bible to see what it says. That's not even trying, guys. We go through life with these questions. What am I supposed to be doing? What should I be doing for a living? What has God called me to do? What's my real purpose? What's my significance? You know, should I get married? Should we have kids? Should I take this job? Should I live in this place? Should I move there? We ask ourselves things like this all the time. And what I want us to know and understand is that God's Word brings direction to our lives. Now, you know, Vicki and I didn't go to God's Word and see, you should have six kids. But what we did do is go to see the wisdom of having a family, raising a godly family. And that, that guideline allowed us to make a good decision about a specific direction to go. That's how God's Word works. You know, the Word's got to be the standard. that's not always the case. We're fine with the Bible until we read something there that we don't like or that we disagree with or something that reveals that our life is out of line with it. And then we want to say, well, you know, that's, that's not for us. That part's not for us. The Bible needs to be the standard. If we're going to have direction, if we're going to have the direction that God wants to bring us through His Word, the Bible's got to be the standard. There's one more thing. God's Word brings freedom. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. In that verse is the exact reason why Jesus Christ came to earth. Why do you come? So that we could be free, free from addiction, free from pain, free from the the guilt of our poor decisions and our mistakes, free from sin, free from death, hell, and the grave, free. And you know where real freedom begins? It begins, it happens in our lives whenever we make a commitment that says, God, I'm going to honor you and I'm going to hide your word in my heart. I'm going to download it in here and then I'm going to watch your transforming grace change me and change my life. So when it comes to reading and studying the Bible, I think God is calling us to two things. First of all, God is calling us to master the text. To master it, to master the text. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. 
Solomon, smartest guy who ever lived, wrote these words inspired by the Holy Spirit. Follow my advice, my son. Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. Tie them on your fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Now, knowing a little bit about the Jewish background and Jewish tradition can help us understand what's being said here. Because the Jewish people, the men especially, literally dedicated their entire lives to mastering the text. If you were a little Jewish boy or you had a son, when they got to be about five years old, they went to school. And they would go to school and begin to study the Bible. And by the time they were 10 years old, each boy will have memorized the entire book of the law. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Between five and ten, that's what they would master. They would memorize those five books, the first five books of the Bible. Now, I don't know about you. My kids definitely have every episode of SpongeBob memorized. And they can sing along to every song that comes on the radio. I don't know how. I never see them. I never observe them listening to the radio, but they can sing along to every song that comes on. But how many of our kids, how many of us, have five of the largest books of the Bible memorized? Anyway, they finish that level of school and they go on. From ages 10 to 13, they go to another school. And by the time they graduate there at 13, they have memorized the entire Hebrew Scripture, what we know as the Old Testament. They have it all memorized from Genesis to Malachi. And so in the Proverbs, Solomon says, treasure the Word. Make sure that it's valuable to you, significant to you. Obey it. Guard it. Guard God's word like you would guard your eyes. He says, tie it on your fingers. Write it on your hearts. And you know, the Jews took that very, very seriously and very, very literally. They would, they would write the word of God on the walls of their houses. And they would write the word of God on little pieces of paper and they would take string and they would tie those pieces of paper to their fingers and, and their hands and their wrists. And if you, especially in Israel today, if you see ultra-Orthodox conservative Jews, they will, you will still see them with papers tied to their hands. Those are scriptures. They would make what they called phylacteries. They were leather boxes. And inside those boxes, they would, they would write on parchment paper. They would write verses and put them in those boxes. And then they would take a strap and they would tie that box on their forehead. The thinking was that it would literally protect their mind and protect their thoughts. That God's Word would be at the forefront of their mind and their thoughts. Now, Pastor, what are you saying? Do you want us to tie leather boxes on our heads? Well, it wouldn't hurt some of us to, you know, distract from the face. <clears throat> Come on now. But of course that's not what I'm saying. Don't miss the principle here. They wanted to take God's Word with them everywhere they went. They wanted visible, physical reminders that God's Word was treasured, valued, that it was important, that they wanted to obey it, that they wanted it at the forefront of their thoughts, that they wanted it deep in their hearts. They talked about it everywhere they went. They talked about it at work, and they talked about it at home, and they talked about it with their kids, and they talked about it with their, with their neighbors. And literally everywhere they went, every day of their life, they were mastering the text. So how about some practical help for us? 
mastering the text. Can I give you four things real quickly? It'll help you master the text. First of all, choose a Bible. Choose a Bible that you can read and understand. And can I just say this? I love the King James Bible, but that's probably not the one that you can read and understand. It's a great example of you know, early 17th century uh, English literature, but it's not a great Bible for reading and understanding today. Most of us don't, you know, don't interact with these and thous and all of that kind of stuff that much. So find a Bible you can read and understand. I preach and teach from the New Living Translation. The, the New International Version is a good faithful translation as well. There, there are some others out there, but those two are real commonly available. And if you don't have a Bible you can read and understand, we will give you one. It won't cost you a penny. Now, it's a paperback Bible, and, and I have to wear a huge, gigantic reading glasses to be able to see the print in it, right? Glasses so thick I can see the future. And, uh, <laughs> but it's a good starter, Especially if you don't have a Bible you can read and understand. Let us give you one. Take one home with you today. And then here's number two, and this just seems so obvious. Read it. Read your Bible. It's a book. It's actually it's a library of books, and it's meant to be read. And the benefits that we've already talked about today don't take effect in our lives until we're getting what's in here in here. We can't just put it under our pillow at night. You know, let the force... Drive it into our heads, right? Just like I couldn't lay that AED on Jim's chest and expect it, the, the benefit of it to get to him. We've got to read it. Use a daily reading plan. You know, every year we, we give one or two out around New Year's, but they're everywhere. If you Google Bible reading plan, there are 4.6 million references on Google to daily Bible reading. They're out there. You can find them. Today at the Welcome Center, we've got two that we want to give you to help you finish out the year strong and build this habit. Accelerate your spiritual growth by using this habit. One is, um, is new to us. It's a 60-day New Testament survey plan. Okay? It doesn't take you through every chapter in the New Testament, but it helps you to hit the highlights and you read from every book in the New Testament so that in 60 days you will have read more Bible than most Christians do their entire lives. In two months you will have read more Bible. And then one that we've used before is a 61-day plan, which is a similar kind of survey through the whole Bible. This is a little more ambitious. Some days you have to read eight or ten chapters to make this one work, but in 61 days you will have hit all of the highlights of Scripture. And again, you will have read more of your Bible than most Christians do in their entire lives. Well, I don't, uh, I don't understand the Bible. I don't read that well. If you read at a sixth grade level, and you are willing to read 15 minutes a day, you can read the entire Bible in less than 14 months. Anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. So choose a Bible. Read it. Use study materials. Get yourself a study Bible. You know what? There's, there's a bunch of good study Bibles out there. I use the New Living Study Bible. Uh, there's the NIV Study Bible, the, the Life Application Study Bible. They're all good, and it's a commentary and Bible, and Bible helps all rolled into one volume. Now, they're about that thick. I mean, it's not a small little pocket Bible, but it's all right there in one place. Use the study helps. And number four, use the Internet. Listen, don't go spend money on Bible study software, okay? Because you get what you pay for. And if you're cheap like me, you just end up frustrated. 
Because what you're willing to pay is not going to get you the features that you want. And then if you're not cheap, you better be prepared to shell out, you know, $1,000, $1,500 for the software and the updates and all of that kind of stuff. But on the Internet, man, in 10 seconds, you can find 12, 15 websites, all of them great, and they're free. And they have tons of tools to help you study the Bible. You, there's information in your message notes on the back that can direct you to some of the best, five or six of the best of those websites that are out there. But, but listen, here's where I'm going with all of this. When we find ourselves at a place where we know we're not spending enough time with God's Word, or we're reading it and we're just not connecting, it's not making any sense to us, that's when these practical things, these study tools can help us go a little deeper so that we can understand God's Word and apply it to our lives, because that's the goal. That's the goal. He's calling us to to take His Word with us literally everywhere we go, to have it written on our hearts, to let it saturate our lives. But listen, the point of it all, in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, it says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go and stand before Him? When's the last time you were thirsty for God? When's the last time that you desired nothing else but to be with Him, to meet with Him? When's the last time you were involved intimately with Him? You were talking to Him and listening to Him speak into your life. Here's what we need to know. The reason we master the text is not for knowledge. You know what Paul said? Knowledge, knowledge gives you gas. That's literally what he said. Knowledge makes you gassy. That's not what we're after. It's not so we can say, look how spiritual we are. You know, if you were as spiritual as me, you'd be reading the Bible like I am. No, we master the text so that we can meet God, so that we can be with Him. And know Him. We're called to master the text, and God also calls us to be mastered by the text. In Matthew 23, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about a, a very common practice in those days. Back then, it was common for many members and many generations of a family to be buried in the same tomb. They would build these stone structures and they were big enough. They didn't use, of course, didn't use caskets and, and vaults and things like we use. They just wrapped up the bodies. And so there was room in there for a lot of, of people to be placed. And so a lot of people would be buried in the same tomb, the same stone structure. And several times a year, just like here in our country, we go to the cemetery and we decorate the graves. Down south where I'm from, we called Decoration Day. Several times a year we would go to the cemetery and put flowers on the graves or maybe put a flag or sometimes uh, you will see it's not unusual to see a picture or something else that's been left, stuffed animal or something of that nature. Well, in a similar kind of way, the surviving family members would go to the graveyard several times a year and they would whitewash the tombs. They would take some water and some lime and some pigments that they had gotten from plants and they would, they would paint that onto the tombs and make them white, bright white, so they looked less weathered less worn down. And so Jesus now has come on the scene. And he's healing people, doing miracles. And he's teaching. He's teaching as one with authority. It is astounding people at how he's teaching. 
And some people are starting to say, he's the Messiah. But the thing that blows me away is that the spiritual leaders, the, the, the men who knew their Bibles inside and out, they weren't buying it. They didn't believe it. They were skeptical. They didn't believe his claims. They didn't respect his teachings. They didn't think that Jesus was for real. And they weren't following him. And here's what Jesus said to them. In Matthew 23, verse 27. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Jesus says, guys, guess what? You look great on the outside. You look beautiful on the outside. You know all the verses. You know how to hold your Bible. You know where to find things in your Bible. You know the right words to say. But when I look deep into the core of who you are, even though on the outside you look great, on the inside you are full of rotting flesh and decay. And that can easily happen to us. We can win a spiritual fashion show. Look great on the outside, but what would we see if we look deep into who we are? What's really going on in here? Hey, I read my Bible sometimes. I mean, when the verses are on the screen, I read those. My kids go to youth group. My kids are in New Hope for Kids. We're, we're, we're pretty regular church attenders. But that's not the question. The question is, what's going on in here? One of the followers of Jesus, in fact, he called himself the, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wrote this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. He said, we can be sure that we know Him if we obey His commands. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commands, commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's Word truly show how completely they love Him. That is how we know that we are living in Him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. There's that standard again. See, here's the deal. It's time for us to be mastered by the text. It's time for us to allow the text to shape us, to judge us and correct us, not us judge it and correct it. It's time for us to live our lives as Jesus did. God calls us to master the text, right? To, to take it with us wherever we go. So that then the next question has to be, will we be mastered by the text? Will we live as Jesus lived? And so, when are we going to stop talking about spending time with God and reading His Word? When are we going to stop setting and breaking that New Year's resolution every single year? You know what the latest research shows? That, that huge number, astronomical number of Christians set a goal every year to read the Bible all the way through, and they make it to about January 13th. That's as far as they go. 
And I know what happens. They make the mistake of beginning in Genesis. And Genesis is good. You can get through Genesis because, you know, that's, that's Noah and that's the story of Joseph, and that's, you know, the Abraham, and I mean, that's the good stuff. And then you get on into Exodus, and Exodus is pretty good because we've seen the Ten Commandments, and we've watched Charlton Heston slash Moses, you know, lead his people out of, the, um, uh, out of Egypt and out of slavery, and we can get through that, and that gets us through about two weeks. And then we get into Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and our eyes glaze over. We wonder if there's anything better to watch on TV than what this stuff we're reading. When are we going to stop making that New Year's resolution and then just breaking it? Why don't we let today be the day where we say, I'm, I'm going to start a habit that accelerates my spiritual growth. I, I'm going to every day, I'm going to do whatever I can to get into the Word and to study and to learn more about God, to learn more about who He is and what He wants to do in my life. Today is the day to make the decision to, to get into God's Word and allow it to change us and transform us. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.